there are two very important days in someone's life. The first day is the day you're born, and the second is the day you find out why. Mariam Farag, a powerhouse social entrepreneur, media specialist, humanitarian, an international keynote speaker dedicated to making a positive impact in the world. I went to Jordan, I went to Lebanon. These are mainly the refugee camps. People have a place to live. It's controlled. However, it's also sad because this is it. Um, there is no future. So youth have no hope. Winter is super harsh. I am wearing a very heavy coat. I see kids on the street in Zaatari camp barefoot. There are certain international agencies that take full funding, but yeah. the sad part is by the time they finish all the overheads and the funding gets to the mm -hmm. small agencies, yeah. it's a fraction of nothing. There's a lot of controversy around the UN. True or false? The UN is made up of... Mariam Farag, welcome to Zeno Talks. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's an absolute honor uh, to have you here with me today. We've we've known each other for such a long time. Um, you are you yourself. You're a powerhouse. Uh, you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you're a motivational speaker. You are humanitarian. I probably would put that one first because. I've known you and your brand, yourself, as a humanitarian from the get-go uh, for such a long time. You've, you've even shared some stories with people about the, the adventures and the things that you've seen and how it made you realize how, how lucky we are, especially like living in the UAE. So um, today, you know, at, at Zeno Talks, as we always say, like we, we like to delve into the topics that, that, um, that people can share with us about how their life experiences help them learn and, and earn the sort of like learnings in what they're doing today. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and let's crash right in to all the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Omar. Yes, um, we've been friends for a long time and, uh, and I take our friendship um, dear and near to my heart because we we share a lot of values uh, and we align on so many things. So thank you for having me. Thank you for Zeno Talks for having me. Um, in a nutshell, if I want to introduce myself, I am a daughter of a great warrior. Um, I was raised by a single mom, yeah. so I take very much pride in that. I'm a mother of amazing two boys. Sammy is 16, Safe is 13. Nice. Um, I am a global citizen. So I am, you know, born and raised in Egypt, but I've lived, studied, and worked in more than seven countries. So I really, truly believe that I embody, um, as an Arab woman, as a Muslim woman, um, a global citizenship um, approach to life. You know, yeah. um, living in Dubai for the past almost 18 years mm -hmm. has taught me that, um, you know. Um, being among 200 plus nationalities is a privilege and it's yeah. it's it's a pleasure because we learn so much from each other and this is literally the city of uh, global yes. yeah, you yeah. know being of global. globalism yeah, yeah. yeah. it yeah. is it is a globalist city and and there's so many things so so uh, you tell us where did you come from before you were in dubai and and and, and what led you to dubai wow that's a, that's an interesting uh, and a very good question um, so you know a, Basically, I started, um, okay, so 
how it started is that I joined the UN when I graduated from University of Westminster mm -hmm. um, and I did my master's in international humanitarian law. And all I wanted to do is just save the world, you know, yeah. be part of the solution, not the problem. Yeah. Um, but in 2004, when I got married and moved to Paris, because this is where my husband uh, was residing and working, um, I kind of had to leave that life behind. Mm. And um, although Paris, you know, is a magical place and it's a romantic place, it didn't really resonate with me because I was at home and being home is not what I do. You know, I needed to work, I needed to move. So long story short, I had to find a solution for us. So I moved to Dubai. Okay. And I looked for a job. And mm. um, I landed at that time in 2005, three, four jobs in a week. You know, yeah. Dubai was booming yeah. at the time. <laughs> um, and so in 2006, I accepted one of them with one of um, uh, top leading PR uh, agencies in mm. Dubai. And uh, the rest is history. Wow. You know? Okay, that's amazing. And and it's crazy. You again. You and I have a lot of things in, uh, that are common in common. And and one of them is I also did my masters in international affairs uh, and security studies. So yes, I, I know we're, we're we're very much aligned. And um, and I think uh, one of those things is is that we. So we, 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 we don't resonate with just like one nationality or one brand or one country or one culture. It's, it's, it's multiple things. And what we love doing is putting people together and doing things together. And I think this makes a lot of sense why the PR agency hired you because you joined a, a, an organization where you were able to communicate something much bigger than just that one topic that they hired you for. So. Absolutely. Look, being, um, you know, trilingual, it helps a lot. You know, mm. I, I, I'm fluent in Arabic. I'm fluent in English. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I have a medium level of French. So mm. I, I understand different languages, but also living. I have lived in Dallas. I did my three years of high school there. I did my master's in London. Mm. I traveled the world with the United Nations, mm. uh, working with refugees on ground. Yeah. So coming from these different backgrounds, um, uh, you know, it just kind of gives you an edge. Mm. You know, you you come in and you actually can deal with so many different situations, and um, you can understand cross cultural. Um, dialogue. Yeah. So you fit in, you fit right in. And I feel that this is what the UAE embodies. You know, yeah. you you have diversity, inclusion, you have different people working together. It's not your ideal office. If I had stayed back home in Egypt, um, in Cairo, which, you know, I adore, or Medunia, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it's 90% Egyptians in the yeah. office. You will not be um, privileged enough to have this experience of, yeah. of being global. Um, but exactly this is why I joined the PR world at the time. And this is why I ended in, mm. in the PR world, mm. because I'm a people's person. Yes. I love to communicate. I love to um, be with people. I concur. So, <laughs> so it just it just made sense for me at the time in 2006. Obviously, I wanted to continue my humanitarian line of, of work. Yeah. But there was international humanitarian city, and it was um, functioning at a very small scope at the time. If you remember, Omar, yes. it was very based on volunteering and not so much as of it today. Mm. Today we have around maybe. 
200 plus NGOs registered with International Humanitarian City, and it's become the hub of the GCC and um, even the MENA region. Yeah. So at that time, um, I couldn't find any jobs within the humanitarian field. So yeah. I had to think quick. Um, and this is when you're, you know, you're, you're, you live in a resilient home. You have to think quick. You have to create solutions for yourself and opportunities out of the challenges. I did yeah. not want to continue living in Paris. Mm. And so I had to find a way for us, uh, my husband and I, um, to, um, to coexist. Yeah. He's Portuguese, I'm Egyptian. Mm -hmm. um, Dubai just made the perfect sense. Mm. And so um, I had to let go of the humanitarian field and I had to take the second best, which is communications and mm. PR. Mm. You know what, 18 years later, it led me to the position that I'm in today. And to be honest, I'm grateful for every milestone that I had. So what led you to work in the humanitarian field? And and tell us a little bit about that and, and you know, Anything, any story that you can share with us? Yeah, um, it's a, it's quite a personal story, but I always share it because I like to be real. Mm. Um, so I, like I mentioned at the beginning, I was raised by a single mom, a and warrior. I had, yeah, she, she's my warrior, she's my rock. Um, you know, her uh, name is Soraya. Soraya, yeah. nice. Yeah. And um, and basically, you know, having an absent father wasn't so easy on mm. me, um, simply because there were so many unanswered questions. Um, my father chose not to be part of my life for at least the first 10 years of my life, living in the same city and everything for different reasons. Um, and so I was raised very close to my maternal family rather mm. than not knowing at all my uh, paternal life mm. and family. Um, that gave me a little bit of um, uh, uneasy, imbalanced um, identity. And so when I was going through the teenager, you know, difficult ages, 13, 14, I started to become very rebellious because my father came into my life when I was 10. Mm. And so I was extremely, extremely happy for a small period of time. And then yeah. it kind of started, you know, giving me imbalance because I didn't know him quite well. We didn't understand each other. I was never raised with him in the same house. It was kind of like a tug of war. So around the, the 13, 14 teenage time, I started to struggle a lot. Yeah. Um, and the victimization role um, took over my life. Like, why is this happening to me? And why me? And you can understand all the, you know, all the questions uh, that goes through the head of a teenager. And so my mother um, felt like she needed to action something, you mm. know, and instead of just talking to me, she showed me. And this is how we do things, you know, even with yeah. my kids, I like to show them or, or, or action the message that I'm trying to, to, you know, to communicate to them. So one day she said, you know what, we're going, it was a Friday at the time, uh, day off. She said, we're going to go and spend a day today somewhere. And mm -hmm. um, I, I remember quite clearly, it was outside of Cairo. It was around 45 minutes to one hour. And we reached there and it was a huge farm. And the doors were, you know, big, huge, you know, palace doors. Uh, and they opened and there was a huge garden. I remember Omar as if it was yesterday because that was a turning point for me. And I was 14. And there was a huge garden with swings and, and play areas and lots of kids running around. I mean, lots. It looked like a school. Um, and it turned out to be SOS, one of SOS children's villages for orphans. Oh, wow. 
And then we spend the day there, the entire day with the kids, with the mothers, um, because the model that SOS Children uh, Villages is built on is that you have a mom, you don't have, it's not an institution, it's a home. Mm. And so you have Al-Umm Al-Badila, which mm. is the alternative mother, as they call mm. it. Um, and it's based on a, a home, not uh, an organization, if you want. So mm. we spend the day laughing, had lunch, you know, the kids and so on. And we had brought some gifts with us. And as we were walking out, um, I was smiling. And my mom was like, um, how was your experience? How was your day? And I said... You know, I just don't understand. And mm. she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I mean, they're so happy. They have a smile on their face, mm. but they're orphans. Some of them don't have parents at all. Some of them have one parent that couldn't take care of them, and that's why they're there. Yeah. Different situations, right? And she said, exactly. And this is really why I wanted you to come here today, because no matter your mm. situation, at least you have a mother yeah. that really cares for you, and yeah. your dad is there. Yeah. He just... This is what he knows best. He doesn't know anything else. So just take what you can take from life. You know, look at the half full, exactly. not half empty, yeah. and just move on. And that day, I realized that not only my perspective on life completely changed, mm. and I started seeing my situation differently, you know, the half full kind of situation. Um, I actually wanted to be part of this humanitarian mm. You know, ecosystem. I ecosystem. Yeah. And I realized that this is this is really my why. It's my yeah. calling. Yeah. Um, and ever since, I knew exactly what I wanted to study. I wanted to do political science, international relations. I wanted to go on and do my master's in international humanitarian law. I mm. wanted to work for <laughs> the United Nations to help, you know, uh, people mm. and to help humanity and to kind of restore faith in humanity yeah. um, and so it was always my calling and and even when my career had to pivot to suit my personal situation I always felt like I had a commitment towards community so when I joined the PR agency I was in charge of the public affairs mm. and at that time they didn't call it CSR or yeah. social impact or ESG all these fancy terminologies that we have today it was public affairs and it was mainly a mix of you know what public affairs yeah. are a mix of doing good mix of government relations a mix of this and a mix of that that encompasses having a good solid business mm -hmm. strategy and a mission and communication and so i was working with big brands on how to communicate with purpose um, that led me to the community development authority in 2008 under the leadership of of his highness sheikh mohammed and the executive office and that led me to academia that led me to mbc and that led me to where i am today being part of you know a big real estate one of the top b um, real estate developer mm -hmm. um conglomerates in in the region and in Dubai so it just it you, you know everywhere I went I never let go of my humanitarian side yeah. because this is me this is what yeah. Maryam is yeah that's a, that's amazing that's incredible so you know um I know you you so you said this you, you worked with the UN um first let me ask you this before you talk about some of the experiences like in the refugee camps there's a lot of controversy around the UN. True or false? A mix of both. Mm. A mix of both, yeah. The UN is made up of interagencies, 
Yeah. You know, so there's you UNICEF, there's World UNDP, Food Program, UNDP. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know how you are raised in one home and you're not the same as siblings? Yes. That's exactly okay. what explains it. You just summarized the whole thing. Okay, then that's fine. Yeah. So you have the... <laughs> You just summarize the bad the most, apples yeah. next to the good apples, and and it all depends. And and you know if you're if you're listening now and you're a philanthropist or you're an yeah. organization that wants to um, support the United Nations, please do your due diligence properly. Look at the um, overheads uh, of what they charge. Look at how much um, budget trickles down to um, until it actually until the funding gets to the agencies that are on ground, the local local agencies that are on ground that actually do the work. So okay. there are certain, not only UN agencies, but also international agencies that take full funding and they actually give the funding to local small NGOs that mm -hmm. have the grassroots reach, have the engagement and mostly have the trust of the people. Okay. So they use them to gain the trust of the people yeah. to actually get the job done, right? But yeah. the sad part is by the time they finish all the overheads and the funding gets to the mm -hmm. small agencies, yeah. it's a fraction of nothing. And so please, if you are an organization or a private philanthropist and you want to give back, yeah. get somebody. I do that for you know advising and I do a lot of pro bono advising to my mm friends and 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 high net worth individuals in dubai and in the region that yeah. want to invest uh, in philanthropic uh, institutions mm. but they don't know who to talk to they don't know where to go and they don't know where to start when it comes to due diligence mm. so to answer your question omar there are bad apples out there but it shouldn't spoil the whole bunch 100 and, and and thank you for sharing that and uh here's my question about the refugee camps and where you've been tell, give us some insights about what you've seen and in how dire is that situation it's 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 extremely dire extremely dire they are um where, where somehow were you stuck. which so i went to jordan i went to lebanon um these are mainly the unofficial and official um refugee camps uh and i'm talking currently you know i'm not talking about my ex-life with the UN where I was in Sudan, I was in on the borders of Iraq, I was, you know, in, in Cyprus when, when the government was um, taking over from the UN peacekeeping forces. I mean, you know, I traveled the world with the UNHCR at that time. But I'm talking recently uh, with the influx and the crisis situation in Syria um, post-2011. Now, the governments are doing their best, and I, I must put 10 lines under that because people tend to forget that they have their own problems, right? They have their own socioeconomic challenges for their own people. So a country like Lebanon or Jordan with a minute population taking over millions of refugees is heavy. Uh, and that's what I was going to say, Mariam, especially Jordan. Like Jordan's always the recipient of everything, like from Iraq from Syria, from, I don't know, Lebanon now, I guess, I don't know, from, from everywhere. They just always bear the brunt of all of this chaos. Like, how do, how do they do it? Where do they even have the land for it? 
you know, honestly, it's the leadership of the government, <laughs> you know, truly. And and Jordan and Amman specifically has become a hub for so many international organizations. Um, and they're doing great. Now, if you okay. look at the, the refugee camp that they have built, Zatari, obviously with the help of, you know, some countries that funded the United Nations um, and other donors as well, as well as the government, you know, mm. that have managed all these years. Now, I've not only visited multiple times over the past nine, 10 years, Zatari, I actually spent 48 hours there producing uh, one of the episodes on a prime time show on NBC One mm. um, in 2019. So mm. I know exactly how dire, but I also know that um, they have done, like we say in Arabic, and I'm gonna try to translate, mm-hmm. you know, they literally turned a horrid situation into a livable, mm. um, uh, a, a livable environment, mm. um, and so people have a place to live. It's controlled. However, uh, it's also sad because this is it. Um, there is no future, so youth have no hope. Um, even if they're educated, even if you know they finish university, they have permits to go out and, 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 and attend classes or whatever, or the schools that other organizations, international organizations offer them in Zaatari camp, this is it, you know, because yeah. life is limited um, for, for reasons that I mentioned before, socioeconomic yeah. lack of job opportunities and so on and so forth. So they are literally stuck in a place like prison but it's it's a prison where they have the shops, they have the schools, they have the health clinics, they have their caravans or their trailers that they live in, sometimes very thin paper tents, mm. depending on the funding and depending on the um, on the supplies. Um, winter is super harsh. We spent two days in winter in February where it was rain, but also, it was hailing. Oh, wow. I have literally videos of me standing in the hail reporting back and saying, oh my God, I am wearing a very heavy coat. I see kids on the street in Zatari camp barefoot. This is a reality, by the way. This is not um, This is not a sad, sobby. It's not showbiz. You know, no, it's not an ad where you are trying to, uh, you know, have people's empathy so you can get funding. This is reality. Um, and anyone is welcome to go and visit. I know that UNHCR, they try as much as they can to facilitate these visits, not only for the media, but also for public figures, celebrities that can that can actually raise awareness on the actual situation. And it's not because there is no funding and it's not because it's just it's a lot to handle. You know, yeah. it's a lot to handle. And there's so many. And it's, it's like, it's not just the population that you can focus on. Yeah. It's life, right? It's yeah. a city. Um, so the population keeps increasing and they mm. have to increase the funding. And so it's like an in, endless circle of 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 agony, yeah. if you want. So you, you did that role. You, uh, you, thank you for sharing, by the way, your experience. Um, you came back so so now you're still advising though you're still advising on of two ngos and and you do have your own business uh, is your, your business focusing on doing specifically this so basically yes okay. yeah so what is um, it called i founded humanizing brands yes. in 
2021. Okay. When I realized that, you know, everything that I've done in the past 16 years at that time, I could do so much more um, with so many different companies and so many different people. So I choose my clients very carefully. Um, and especially that, you know, I, I, I need to keep um, away a conflict of interest from my current role. Um, so I focus on personal brands, building mm. personal brands for C-suite level that want to be out there, that want to talk about what they do and mm. also want to have space on digital media mm. as well as on ground, you know, event yeah. participation and so on. I do that because I, I love building brands and I love yeah. building personal brands, but specifically for Amazing. real people. Yeah. You know, people that really want to talk about something that's meaningful yeah. and not just your um, your Maserati parked mm. somewhere. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, also, I work with startups and mm. small companies that mm. want to create their own social impact and communication with pur purpose strategy mm -hmm. yeah. and that want to work with international um, yeah. humanitarian organizations but don't know yeah. where to start. Yeah, yeah. So creating uh, their social impact strategy, activating it um, on ground and making sure that they have the right partner yeah. that embodies their values yes. and um, is aligned with their business goals, okay. basically. That's really yeah. good. So you to told us um, just before we went on air that you're also working on your own book. Yes. Tell us a yes. bit about that. So I haven't really decided on the title yet, just but fine. I just felt yeah. like um, I, I had so many experiences to share um, working with different brands and working with different people. Um, but really, it just it, it, it gives a guide to anyone and everyone that wants to humanize their own brand. So ah, it's a guide for humanizing good. brands. Amazing. Um, because it's no longer about corporate social responsibility. It's a lot mm. more than that. It's um, Why don't you just call it humanizing brands? It's, it's, it's one of the options. It it's one of the options. Yeah. My publisher actually um, wants me to call it the death of CSR because <laughs> I truly believe oh. the death of CSR is here. I love it's that. no longer CSR. It's yeah. ESG. It's, yeah. um, it's so many yeah, different yeah. things. Um, but it's literally, you know, a, a guide that um, gives you from A to Z what you need to do in order to humanize your own brand yeah. on a personal level and yeah. on an organization level, no matter what your industry is mm -hmm. and no matter what your business focuses on. Um, I always believe that um, charity starts at home. 100%. So I also give uh, insights on how to build your internal communication as well as your giving policy towards your, your peers and towards your employees and your staff. Because if your staff don't feel like they belong, you can't retain them. You're investing in, 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 in people that will leave you the next day for a better salary, even 5,000 more. Um, you need to give them a reason to stay. And I felt like after, you know, post 2020 and post COVID, the companies that actually stood tall were the companies that retained their employees because of their social impact and their governance and their employee engagement programs. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, look, in my head, this book is called um, Soraya's Model. You know, oh, uh, it's like a, I feel everything from what you just talked about, from how she took you to that camp and made you realize, you know, how fortunate you are and everything else uh, almost returned the human or the humanity in the human that you are 
And then that kind of gave you this awareness, helped you pick what kind of degree you want to study, what you wanted to do for work. And then, yeah, something from Saraya. You're not, you're not so far, by the way, because there's a third title that's lingering in my head that has my mother's name. You're, you're spot on, Omar, because she is everything that I am today. I owe her my life. Um, God bless her and keep her for us. But yeah, she I mean, I mean. fought through 70s and 80s, yeah. divorced twice. Yeah. In a, in a time when divorce was a taboo, it was frowned True. upon, yeah. um, created her own business with zero real estate background, and she yeah. became uh, you know, a very successful broker and yeah. agent um, in, in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s even in, yeah. in Egypt. Um, my mother was working until she had a stroke in 2020. I mean, she was literally just working because she loved people. Yeah. She loved helping people, yeah. even through her job. So she knew exactly what her why was. I always like to say, um, there, there is a quote that you know very well that I always like to um, mention in my talks, uh, Mark Twain, yeah. when he says there are two very important days in someone's life. The first day is the day you're born. And then the second is the day you find out why. And I found out why when yeah. I was 14. That was a beautiful way to end our quick but very, very informative um, session. Thank you so much, uh, Mariam. Uh, this is the first of, mo also, we're, we're gonna have more sessions in the future. You know, this is just a teaser. Uh, when the book is out, we need to get ready to talk about that as well. Absolutely. You know? And then we can reveal the title. 100%. Maybe we can do a poll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much, Omar. Yeah, yeah. This, it's always a pleasure to, yeah, yeah. to chat with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're a dear friend and someone that... Um, inspires so many, inspires me. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you so much.